In this context, it's not so much evil in a complete sense or fighting against sin or fighting against uh, uh, calamities in our lives, uh, but dealing more with evil that people would bring into our lives is the, pretty much the context. Um, so Romans chapter 12, the problem of overcoming evil, Romans chapter 12 and beginning at verse 9. Let love be without dissimulation. Abhor that which is evil. Cleave to that which is good. Be kindly affection one to another with brotherly love and honor preferring one another. Not slothful in business, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continue instant in prayer. Distributing to the necessity of saints given to hospitality. Bless them which persecute you. Bless and curse not. Rejoice with them that do rejoice and weep with them that weep. Be of the same mind of one toward another. Mind not high things, but condescend to men of low estate. Be not wise in your own conceits. Recompense to no man evil for evil. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink, for in so doing thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. This is our text. Be not overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. Now, when you hear that language, it is the language of battle. In other words, to overcome evil means you must win a battle. Some Christians have a problem with thinking of themselves as victors, as soldiers. They want to think of themselves as victims. Many people have a victim mentality, and they're filled with self-pity. And instead of having a Christian warrior spirit and realizing we can be more than conquerors through Christ Jesus... They hunker down and uh, do not have a right attitude, a diligent attitude of serving the Lord. Now, there is a faulty view of sanctification called quietism. The word quiet with an ism on it, quietism. This view teaches that the Christian should be quiet, and by quiet it means passive. And that they should suppress human efforts... So God's work will take place. Basically, this view is a person just totally yielding themselves to God and thinking that that means that they don't do anything. That they try to kind of empty their will and volition and just totally surrender themselves to God as though God is going to do everything. And that he is not going to use them as an instrument through which to labor and work. And so what it does, it removes personal responsibility which is unbiblical yes we are yield ourselves to God but God works through us he works in us matter of fact the quietism the false doctrine is that it's only half of the truth and a half truth is a lie for instance let me read you a verse that has both aspects and then we'll show you which one pertains to the false doctrine of quietism and which one 
makes it the, the proper truth. I'm quoting from Philippians chapter 2. Paul admonishes us by the Spirit of God. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who worketh in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Now, quietism, here's the B part of that. The B part says God is working in you his good pleasure. And the idea is he's working, so you just totally resign yourself to the working of God. And that's, that will produce sanctification and so forth. What they do not hear is the A part of the verse. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. When we are filled with the Spirit, it enables us to live for Jesus Christ, to do those things we are commanded to do. It empowers us. So this idea, like you hear, let go and let God have his way. That is an expression of the doctrine of quietism. No, it is yield yourselves members, yield your members as members of righteousness and mortify the deeds of the flesh and yield yourselves to God and be as those alive from the dead. In other words, serving and honoring and doing and thinking is the idea. We must yield, but we must yield to God as we work out through his power what God is working in us. And so in other words, we must not only be passive in that we do not respond to evil, you know, in a, uh, uh, in other words, in a wrong way, but that in a positive way we respond in practicing righteousness, doing right. So it is, Christianity is just not not doing things. It is ceasing to do evil, learning to do well. I mean, it's like I give an example that... Uh, uh, of anger and how that some people blow up and some people clam up and uh, some people they think well I didn't blow up so I'm okay I didn't clam up so I'm okay well you see that's only half of it the other half is the Bible says a soft answer turns away wrath grievous words stir up strife in other words, we need to return with a soft answer. We need to respond in a positive way. Not just thinking that we have the victory by not reacting violently, but we have the victory in overcoming evil with good. See, overcoming evil with good means you don't just cease the evil, you put in practice righteousness. Okay? We must hear all of Jesus' teaching. Now, Jesus did say in Matthew 5, 39, But I say unto you that ye resist not evil. But whosoever shall smite thee on thy right cheek, turn to him the other also. Now, that sounds totally passive, you see. But he also went on to say this, And whosoever shall compel thee to go a mile, go with him twain. Now, in the day of Jesus, the Roman army had the right to compel you to carry some of their stuff if they needed help. But according to the Roman law, you, they only had to do that for a mile. And so he's saying, go the extra mile. That's probably where that idiom came up with. If they compel you to go a mile, don't have a sorry attitude. Don't become bitter. When they're finished, then go the extra mile. You see, this is the idea. Jesus went on to say this. 
I say unto you, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. So you find that here are actions. Here is not just a passive resign. Here is an active implementation of righteousness on our part to love our enemies. Now, you might, you know, when we think of love, it is an action word, especially as it is used here. It is de the demonstration of good action, not the demonstration of, uh, and of, or not the development of a good feeling. When the Bible says love your enemies, it doesn't mean you need to try to change your spirit so your spirit feels, lo feels loving. What you need to do is the very things that it says here. You need to pray for them. What does it say? You need to bless them, and we'll talk about it. You need to do good to them. In other words, your thoughts, as I've taught you for years, your thoughts follow your actions. You're not going to feel good about someone unless you invest your time in them. You see, if you try to muster up good feelings for someone, that isn't going to work. But if you begin to do good, you begin to think good, you begin to pray that God bless them, you begin to do those things, then your feelings will line up with your actions and thoughts. And so when it says love them, it doesn't mean muster up a feeling. It means put in action righteousness toward them. Um, you know, if you stop and think, I mean, it may be kind of, the Bible says, um, basically, we can't turn, you know, we can't change our stature. There's a lot of things we can't do. I can't know my motives completely. I mean, I don't. You know, I mean, there, I'm sure there's times I've done things and thought I was filled with pride, and really, God knew I had humility in my heart. And there's times I thought I had humility and probably had pride. I mean, so I have learned, don't, don't think of yourself as an onion, you know what, if you peel one layer of an onion off, you know what you have? The next layer of the onion. And you know when you pull that, peel that off what you have? Another, it looks still just looks like an onion. And basically, you can, you know, we are to examine ourselves. Don't, don't go the other extreme. We are to deal with bitterness and wrong attitudes that are obvious. But you're never really going to be able to truly know your motives. So don't, don't always search and, and just try to, well, I'm not going to do that because I don't think I have the right motive. Well, you don't know even if you did think you had the right motive, it's the right motive. Just do what's right and trust God and, and commit your motives to God. They should be good, but don't do, be a motive searcher all the time and never do anything. Uh, you know, we don't, as I've often taught you, none of you get up Monday morning early when the alarm goes off and say, now, do I feel like going to work? <laughs> I mean, you get up whether you feel like it or not, and, you, and that's not a hypocrite. So why is it in something else? You know, I don't feel like going to that person and doing good to them, but you do because you're responsible. You see, this is how you overcome evil with good. Now, we find in Romans 12, 17 and 19, a passive response, which is one part of it. Look at chapter 12, verse 17. Recompense to no man evil for evil. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. Which, that's a good verse. It's also in 2 Corinthians. Um, we, by nature, are suspicious creatures, and the Lord recognizes that. So sometimes we need to be uh, careful the way we do things. But the, the point here, he says here, 
is in verse 17, recompense no man evil for evil. So someone does evil to you and you don't do evil to them. That's being passive. That's good, but that's only part of it. Look at verse 19. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. So it's not that you just do not avenge, but you patiently wait, you see, upon the Lord. But also look at verse 14, because it has, clearly has the active. Verse 14, chapter 12. Bless them which persecute you. Bless and curse not. So in other words, if someone curses you, it's not just that you're passive. You bless them. Now, what does that mean? Well, in this context, and, and, and we'll talk a little bit about this. Here, it is using blessing and cursing as opposites. And so here, blessing must be the opposite of cursing. So cursing is pronouncing damnation on someone. So blessing is calling upon someone the blessings of God. It's praying that God bless someone. This is what it would be in this context here. Now, um, our response to those who say and do evil toward us must be by the power of the Holy Spirit, and it must include our work of righteousness. We are to be lights in this dark world. Now, what does light do? Let's say it's 12 midnight. There's no street lights on, as it does often in our area, the electric's out. <laughs> and uh, it's totally dark in here. So if I turn a, a bright light on, what's it going to do? It's going to dispel the darkness. Light has more power than darkness, you see? And so light conquers darkness. Now, if you stop and think, light, there are certain things that can cause a shadow and lessens the intensity of light. But what if that light is moving? So you got something that's casting a shadow, but now you come around here and the light's shining here. It's going to dispel the shadows. Light dispels shadows. Light dis dispels darkness. Now, we need to be moving in this world in righteousness. You see, we need to be active in what we're doing and in the, in, and in the sphere and activity of our life. Our lives as the sun must move in righteousness to completely dispel the shadows uh, that have come into our lives and helping others. Now, our lives must uh, practice righteousness. Now, that chapter 12, verse 14, bless and curse not. Jesus also in Matthew 5, 44 has blessed them that curse you. This clearly puts blessing and cursing as opposites. This helps us understand what it means to bless our enemies. Now, the other part of it is this. The Greek, there's two main words for bless in the Greek. There may be more, but uh, there's uh, uh, the one where we get our word eulogy. To speak well of someone, to bless someone. Um, the, the other one, makrios, I believe it is, uh, it means to instill goodness and, and benefits upon one, to bless someone. The, actually, the word that is used here is the word eulogy. When it says bless and curse not. So there is two aspects. 
One aspect is that, that here is that therefore we should not return evil sayings to those who speak evil things to us or about us. We are to seek to speak good to them the best we can. So the Bible says a soft answer turns away wrath. So when someone is speaking evil toward you, then you need, you know, um, I know there were sometimes Jesus was silent. Uh, sometimes silence has its place. Uh, but many times coming back with a soft answer, you see, is the idea. And not speaking evil, not railing for railing, you see. But you come back in a gracious way. But this is only part. This does not fully comprehend that this blessing is the opposite of cursing. Cursing is to wish and pronounce damnation on someone. Therefore, to bless is to seek for God to bless them with forgiveness and salvation. I read, I thought it was a really good thought. This saint of old said, you know, the wicked, they seek to kill us. We ought to seek through prayer and grace to kill the sin in them so that they die in Christ. You see, we don't want to physically put our enemies to death, but we want to so evangelize them and pray for them that they die in Jesus Christ and therefore they resurrect to new life, you see. And, uh, and so this is the idea. So basically, and I found this true so many times in my life, you have someone and there's anger there, you're upset, and there may be a legitimate cause, and we'll talk about dealing with that in a minute. But you say, Lord, bless them. Bless their children. Bless their life. If they're not saved, visit them with salvation. So what you're doing is not just being passive, you're being active. You say you're able to overcome evil, to overcome evil with good. And it's very powerful, because if you stop and think, a lot of the time the devil's the one stirring up all of this, Right? So does the devil want you praying good for everyone? <laughs> does he want you praying blessing for everyone? And so if you make this a, a habitual part of your life, it slows down the times that you turn uh, to wrath. Okay? Now let's look at how our Lord handled this. Go to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 19. 1 Peter 2 and verse 19 through 25, through the end of the chapter. First Peter 2, verses 19 through 25. For this is thankworthy, if a man for conscience toward God endure grief, suffering wrongfully. For what glory is it if when we are buffeted, or excuse me, when ye be buffeted for your faults, ye shall take it patiently. But if when ye do well and suffer for it, ye take it patiently, this is acceptable with God. For even hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that ye should follow in his steps. Who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth, who when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously, who his own self bare our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, being dead to sins, should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes ye were healed. For as ye were as sheep going astray, 
we are now returned unto the shepherd and bishop of your souls. Now, if you think what I just, the example that saint I read about gave, if you think of what Jesus did, look in verse 24, who his own self bear our sins in his own body. Um, in other words, he suffered our death. In other words, he did not kill us. He died for us. That sin might die in us is the idea. Now, if you look at 19 and 20, it's suffering because of the works of evil done to us for Christ's sake. Now, he says, I mean, if you're suffering just because you're, you know, you do things that cause it, you know, uh, what's the big deal about that if you suffer it well? Even the lost people do that. And sometimes I know in my life I've suffered things just because I was ignorant. Because I didn't think, I made foolish statements, and uh, so forth, you see. Uh, but he said, if you suffer for righteousness' sake and you bear it, that's acceptable to God. And so there is, in other words, this passive sense in which we, we submit ourselves to suffering. Patience, the word patience has the prefix huper, which means to remain under something. Okay? To remain under. Um, now, verse 21, we're called to suffer as Christ did. For even here unto we you call, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that ye should follow in his steps. We should follow the example of Jesus Christ, as how he responded to the evil that was done to him. Now, note verse 23. Who, when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. Now it tells us we're to follow in his steps in verse 21. So in overcoming evil, we need to follow Jesus' example. And so here's how he did it. In verse 23, when someone reviled him to vilify, to speak evil of him, to degrade him, he didn't return those kind of remarks. But he did something else. He committed himself to God. Now, what does that mean? And I'm getting off my notes, so I hope I can find it back, get back to my notes. But let me just explain this. You think of Job. Job had those three miserable comforters. And basically, they just called Job a hypocrite. And Job just humbled himself, trusted in God. And later on, God reproved those that were calling Job self-righteous. In other words, when Jesus committed himself to God, it doesn't just mean pertaining to the future. In other words, the way he dealt with injustices in his life was to appeal to God's justice. That God, in time, if it pleased him, would vindicate. In other words, sometimes people lie about us, sometimes people do different things, and sometimes we have to react. Paul uh, uh, defended his character, you know, to the Corinthians and different ones. So, again, not being totally passive. But the idea is commit yourself to God. I remember the example that Brother Younger used to give. There was some guy that just tormented him and say, would say evil to him because of Christ's sake. And you know what character he had before the Lord saved him. So his natural tendency was just to pop the guy. But he humbled himself and he 
he committed himself to the Lord. And this guy, he was up the top, on the top of a tree, cutting a branch and fell. And it didn't seriously hurt him. But on the way down, because Brother Younger said he thought, I'd like to bruise that guy from the top of his head down to his feet. You know, because that was his natural reaction in the flesh. But that guy fell, and as he fell, he hit every branch, and he came down the bottom. And the next day, he was just bruised all over. It didn't seriously hurt him, but it would look like someone had just beat him up. I mean, God has a way of working things out, you know. God has a way, of, and it's not that everything is worked out. We have Judgment Day, but the idea is we commit ourselves to God. And again, we'll see other avenues that are pursued as we go on. So when Jesus was vilified by his oppressors, he did not speak evil to them um, or speak evil of them. Now, and as I gave the example of Job, how God uh, vindicated Job, and think of Jesus. What did Jesus do by the resurrection? He vindicated Jesus. It wasn't just, you know, the main thing was our redemption, but also it was a vindication of Jesus, of his righteousness. To get the active side of Jesus' actions of overcoming evil with good, listen to Luke 23, 34. Now here, let me read the verse again. Who, when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. So there was some positive. He committed himself to the Lord, but he's basically being passive. Well, listen to the whole story, though. Listen to the Gospel of Luke. Then said Jesus, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. See, he didn't just not revile. He said, he pronounced blessing upon them. Forgive them. That's pronouncing blessing. Save them. Forgive them. Now, Jesus' life and death were a sacrifice for others. Verses 24 and 25. Who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree, that we being dead to sin should live unto righteousness by whose stripes you are healed. For ye were a sheep going astray, but are now returned unto the bishop, uh, shepherd and bishop of your souls. So the idea here to overcome evil, we're submissive to God. We make ourselves a living sacrifice. The book of Romans chapter 8, it says we're a sheep led to the slaughter. That's the passive aspect. If it's for Christ's sake, you see, we submit ourselves, but in that, you always remember there's an active aspect. Now, Jesus, who is the truth? He did rebuke hypocrisy at times. And there are some times we have to rebuke. I, I've given you that time when I worked for um, Kroger's, and we had a meeting, and there was probably, I don't know, close to 100 people in there. It's pretty crowded. And there were ladies in there, some of which I knew were Christian ladies. And this guy was talking about safety. Well, no, it was about product, uh, not damaging the product, product purity. And he was talking like a drunken sailor. I mean, he's just cussing every other word. And man, it just, it stirred me up. And I thought, it was one of those things, you're going to say something. Not, and it wasn't me. <laughs> it's kind of like the Lord was stirred up my heart, you know. And next thing I knew, I was standing up in front of those however many people with the head manager of the whole plant there, and I was reproving that person. I said, you've come in here to teach us about product purity, 
And I said, you've got a filthy mouth. I said, there's ladies in here and so forth. And I had said it just about like that. I wasn't thinking about what would happen to me or anything. I just knew it was a time to stand up. It was a time to say something. And fortunately, there was enough people in there that ended up thanking me instead of me losing my job or whatever. But here's the point. I mean, Jesus reproved the hypocrisy of the Pharisees. Sometimes we have to say something. Sometimes the right thing is to stand up. The Bible says, judge the fatherless and the widows. Sometimes we have to speak up for people. We have to stand up. Sometimes we have to stand for righteousness. I know Brother Danny was telling me about, uh, I won't go into the details, but something about his car. And, you know, last night, Danny, I woke up, I was so angry, I could have bit a nail or two, because I was dreaming about that and thinking how unjust it was. And, uh, but sometimes you just deal with unreasonable people. And we're going to see in a minute, that's where God says, don't take vengeance out but give place for wrath, and then it goes into chapter 13. And that's the law. I mean, sometimes people are so unreasonable. I mean, you have to take them to a court of law. You to, now, you don't pursue it maliciously, but there are some times, because of the world we live in, that even seeking to overcome evil with good, we maintain a right spirit, but sometimes you have to appeal to things. People are unreasonable. Here's the verse. Look down at chapter 12. Uh, Oh, we're still there in Peter. Go back to Romans chapter 12. And look at verse 18. If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. Now that's a qualifier. I've often given you this example. My, My wife and I are visiting somewhere and we start down the street. And someone comes over to rob us or to hurt my wife, you think I'm just going to stand there and turn the other cheek? No, I'm going to do everything I can to, uh, to deliver my wife and to take care of us uh, because you can't live peaceably with someone like that. You see, that's why you have national defense. And our country, I mean, years ago, it got away from it. But years ago, we've always believed in the just war theory. And there are times that we went to war that was very questionable. But the idea is not to be like the Soviet Union and just go on around and take property just because you want to do it. Um, and, but there is times when you just can't live peaceably with another nation and you have to, to go to war. Uh, he recognizes that. And I'm getting a little ahead of myself here. But um, as we think of this, there are times that we need to speak the truth. Something that, and, and think of this, please think of this. So here you've got, how many people do you don't raise your hand and speak out? Just think, how many people do you know crossing the world, they're not believers, not true Christians, but they get upset with people and they ask God to damn someone. Now, what do they have to believe in to do that? They have to realize there's a place of damnation. They have to realize there's a God, and they have to have a depraved nature of hatred. Why is that people are aware of the fact that there is God? They're aware of the fact that there is damnation. You see? Like I wouldn't say, well, I hope a bunch of tooth fairies beat you up tonight. Yeah, well, why wouldn't we not say that? Because there's no such thing as tooth fairies. You understand? That has no power to it. 
But to ask God to condemn someone to damn something, that has power. Why? Because we, people believe that. They won't acknowledge it, but they, they believe it in, their, in, the, in the subjective aspect of their mind. People believe a lot of things that they won't acknowledge, you see. And, uh, and so I think it's a, a great proof of God and of Satan, because what does Satan want to do? He hates God's creation. He wants everyone to come to be sent to hell. I mean, he's full of damnation. And so why is it that everybody has this attitude, this sentiment? And they say, oh, there's no such thing as Satan, no such thing as God, no such thing as hell. But man, they really believe it when they get upset with someone. They don't think that they're just calling tooth fairies to come down on them. They believe there's something real. Now, it also manifests the spirit that's consistent with Satan. I mean, man is depraved, but, but look at the very first one, Cain. Killed his brother, murdered his brother. And the Bible says he was of that wicked one, Satan. I mean, we're fallen, but who would, why would we be so wicked that we'd want to kill people? In other words, there's an excess of wickedness because of the kingdom of darkness, because of the influence of Satan. That's why so much perversity. And I mean, people do things and you'll hear weird stuff, you know. I mean, people killing and then it's like they didn't even realize what they did. And it's just they're given over to the wicked one and have been uh, so forth. But listen to what James says, talking about the tongue. Therewith bless we God, even the Father. And therewith curse we men which are made after the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceeded blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not so to be. I mean, if you have found mercy and the grace of God, should we even enter into our mind to curse someone, to bring damnation on someone? What if we went into that fountain in there by the restrooms and part of the time good water came out and the other part of the time salt water came out? Or some kind of corrupted water. You see? In other words, that's inconsistent. Now we have found grace. We should desire grace for others. The Bible says that when we were enemies, he blessed us. He found us in our sins. That, we're to be like God. And what did God do when we reviled him, when we spoke evil with him, when we were forgetful of him and rebellion, rebellious toward him? What did he do? He overcame our evil with good. He sent his son into the world to die for us, to save us. How about Stephen following the example of Jesus, his Lord? He kneeled down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. And when he had said this, he fell asleep, overcoming evil with good. Now, look at Romans chapter 12 and look at verse 20, the confusing verse. Romans 12, 20, Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. For in so doing, thou shalt eat coals of fire on his head. Now, you have to put this into context. First of all, it comes from Proverbs. If you go to Proverbs chapter 25, verses 21 and 22, uh, it basically has the same thing, and it ends with, And the Lord shall reward thee. Um, but here's the point. This can't be bringing your desire to bring evil and wrath upon them because we are to be blessing so if i have an attitude that i want somebody to bless to bless my enemy 
I'm not in my heart going to do things. Yeah, this will bring the wrath of God on them. That's not what he's talking about. It's talking about the conscience. Coals of fire in your head is just an idiom for a person with a severely convicted conscience. I'll give you a good picture. Saul, when they were stoning Stephen, and they laid the co- their coats down at the feet of Saul. Remember when Jesus appeared to him, it said, it's hard for thee to cut, kick against the goads. In other words, that deep conviction, that fiery conviction. So what it's saying is if you overcome evil with good, you overcome evil with righteousness and love, it convicts people. It's been a while since I, I can remember that when I was working at Kroger's, and I had this guy, for some reason, he just, it was for Christ's sake, he just did not like me. And uh, we were supposed to push our pallets out. He was a forklift driver, so they could come and get them. And he falsely accused me that I wasn't pushing my pallets out. So instead of just pushing the pallets out, which we were timed, they were timed orders, I would go under the rack and take three or four of them and stack them up so he could get three or four at one time. And one time he came over, and after I was doing it for a while, he jumped off, and it was kind of like he was angry but humble at the same time. Like, what are you doing? He knew he had been doing evil. He knew he had been bad to me, and it convicted him. He couldn't stand it that I was doing good, you see? And, uh, and so it brings great conviction. This is what he's talking about. This is just an idiom, an, an ancient idiom. For the idea of coals of fire, I mean just a, a heart of con- conviction and mind of conviction, you see, is the idea. Now we have to look at something else. Look at verse 19 of chapter 12. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Well, there is a day of judgment, but this is not just referring to a day of judgment. God even avenges in this life sometimes. That's the connection between chapter 12 and chapter 13. Look at chapter 13. Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers. For there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. Whosoever therefore resisteth the power resisteth the ordinance of God. And they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation. Not necessarily damnation in hell, but means judgment from the authorities. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to the evil. Wilt thou then not be afraid of the power? Do that which is good, and thou shalt have praise of the same. For he is a minister of God to thee for good. But if thou do that which is evil, be afraid, for he beareth not the sword in vain. For he is a minister of God, look at this, a revenger to execute wrath upon him that doeth evil. And so sometimes instead of beating someone up, <laughs> instead of saying things you shouldn't say, you pray God's blessing. And But sometimes you can't live peaceably with someone. Sometimes, I mean, a person, uh, you might have to involve uh, 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 file a suit. Sometimes it might involve... Uh, uh, calling police that there's charges involved i mean sometimes you 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 the law god gave us the law for that now the thing of it is you don't do it maliciously you still have the right spirit but sometimes people are unreasonable 
And so God gave us these things. And sometimes you have to, I can remember on a youth activity one time, I had an unruly uh, teen, and I actually had to call a park ranger. Now, you know, of course, when I talked to his mother later on, well, if you had gotten a fight, he would have whipped you. So you know why he acted the way he did, if he had a mother that talked like that. Um, but sometimes you have to appeal to authorities, you know, different things. There are sometimes you just have to, you know, go to a court of law and judge things. Now, the Bible teaches within the church that should not be. If a brother and sister or brother and brother have some contention and it's very severe, then you bring it to the church and, and you set some in the church to judge. Now, it is possible that it's out of your hands. In other words, I'm under law that if I know someone doing certain things, I won't go into all the things, but you know what I'm talking about. If certain activities are done, I mean, it has to be reported as a crime. Uh, we're under law. To, in other words, sometimes, even though a brother and sister in Christ, if they do something that's criminal, you know, you have to tell the authorities uh, because it's a criminal act. It's not just against you. Um, and that's why, as a pastor, if you come to me for counseling and say, well, now, you'll promise not to, anything I say, you'll not repeat it. No, I'm not going to do that. You say that to someone, and then they say, well, I, I, no one knows this, but I killed my neighbor. <laughs> oh, boy, you've, you know, I'm not a priest. I mean, the priest may, uh, but I tell people, listen, I'm a reasonable person. Uh, I don't go around sharing things, but I can't give you a blanket promise you know, uh, about uh, things. And uh, when things are moral things and private things and so forth. But what I'm saying, sometimes people can acknowledge criminal things. And criminal things, it's not just, well, I'll be forgiving. Because it's not just against me. It's a crime, you know, that has to be report, reported to the authorities. And uh, so basically, there's sometimes where we just humbly humble ourselves and wait upon the Lord and Sometimes we have to take things to proper authorities to unfold. And sometimes nations even go to war. But as much as it's within us, we need to overcome evil with good. And the most powerful thing that I found in this whole thing is the idea of praying blessing for them. You know, it's not just that you try not to be angry. You actually pray, Lord, bless them, bless their children. You know, bless and save them and have mercy upon them. And when you start praying good for people, it changes your attitude and you don't brood over things. And so God wants us to be peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers. They shall be called the children of God. We shouldn't be stirring up strife, causing strife within the church within one another, carrying things and saying things to get people riled up. Shouldn't be doing those kind of things. We should be peacemakers. There's sometimes you might know something, but it doesn't mean you have to say it. You know, I mean, if I'm eating a meal, my wife is fixed, and a particular dish just doesn't taste good, I am not compelled to say, honey, that doesn't taste good. You see what I'm saying? Just because we know things or someone has said something doesn't mean we have to run and tell someone else and get them upset and stir them up. We shouldn't stir up people to anger. And we should exercise control and overcome anger with good and humble ourselves. And this is what he's found. We're to be victors and overcoming evil with good. All right, let's all stand. And Brother